Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. Happy Sunday. I'm so glad to be with you again this morning to worship together. You know, as a public speaker, I have a love-hate relationship with Q&A sessions. You know, on the one hand, they're exciting because I have no idea what's coming. But on the other hand, they're terrifying because I have no idea what's coming. The questioners are free to ask me anything they want, and I have to think on my feet and deliver my answer publicly on the record. You look at Mark chapter 12, records a series of encounters Jesus had that were really like a Q&A between the religious leaders and Jesus. In Mark 12, 12 to 13, though, it reveals that these were not innocent Q&A sessions where people really wanted answers. They were the kinds of questions that were um, antagonistic. These, these religious leaders weren't asking questions to get answers. They were trying to set up Jesus in a trap to get him arrested so they could get rid of him from the scene. And it says here that they wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling their story against them. So the reason they're trying to trap him is because they didn't appreciate the fact that they were the villains in so many of his stories. I've been a part of a lot of Q&A sessions, but I'm not sure how I do if not only were they asking tough questions, but the reason they were asking them was to get me in a trap. Well, on one of these occasions in Mark 12, 28, we read that a law expert approached Jesus. And this guy maybe was asking a real question because he was very impressed with the way that Jesus had handled himself when the other uh, religious leaders were questioning him. And so he asked him a question that many religious leaders and experts of his day love to debate all day long. He asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Surprisingly, in answer, Jesus offered him the Shema. That's the simple prayer from Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5 that I preached on last Sunday. And it's the prayer that comes, um, that, that every faithful Jew would say every morning and evening. It's an answer that was like um, the most churchy, basic answer Jesus could have given. But what he was reminding him is, you already know the answer. The thing most on God's heart is what he has already given you. That prayer, which he recited again in Mark 12, 28, is simply the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That last word, strength, is what I want to focus on for this message. And it's kind of an unfortunate English translation because the Hebrew word underlying it is the word ma'od, which really isn't supposed to be translated strength. It's only translated as strength in one other verse in the whole Old Testament. And everywhere else, it's translated differently. The word ma'od in Hebrew is what we would call, as a, a grammar nerd, an adverb of augmentation, which is another way of saying it's a word that boosts up or intensifies another word. Uh, the, the video suggested that a better word for this is the old ancient word muchness. It carries the feeling of the way I think uh, young people today use the word hella. When you say, he wasn't just mad, he was hella mad. And that was a way of saying it was more than what you might expect. 
This word, ma'od, in Hebrew is a broad and sweeping word, and it, it encompasses a lot of things. That word muchness is such a good way to translate it, because that's really the kind of feeling it's conveying. And I want to unpack two dimensions of what it means for us to love God with all of our muchness. It's a clumsy phrase, but I think it has richness of meaning, and it could actually help us think about how God wants us to relate to Him. The first dimension of loving God with all of our muchness has to do with intensity. Now, most of us have a gradient of intensity levels with which we live our lives. You can think of it as like the gears in a sports car. And if you've ever driven a manual car, you, this is familiar to you. It's a stick shift. And we run at our highest gear only occasionally, don't we? I mean, I think it would be difficult and even dangerous to run at the highest gear 24-7. And I don't think that's what God wants from us, is to never stop running or push, push, push all the time. But it is important to pause and think about the times when we actually do run in that highest gear. What are the people or the situations for which we will give our greatest all-out effort? Because when you really study who or what draws out of us the most genuine, earnest effort that we can offer, the greatest intensity of commitment, it shows us something about who or what we value the most. Bear in mind that we're not just talking about raw intensity of effort, but it also implies that the reason we're giving such effort is because we have such a desire or devotion for that person. We love them with all our hearts, and that explains why we're willing to give the very best effort that we can possibly give. And when we love someone that much, it never just stays limited to the realm of emotions and sentiments, but it goes beyond those feelings. It always translates into some tangible expression or some action that demonstrates that love. Twenty years ago, my mother bought me a sweater for my birthday, and she's bought me lots of things for, for birthday and Christmas, but for this particular year, she seemed really anxious for me to open that box. And it, I could tell it was clothing, because, you know, clothing-shaped box, and so I opened it up, and it was a sweater. It was a Ralph Lauren polo sweater. It's nice. Um, but I could tell she was expecting some kind of reaction. She was so excited to give it to me. So I opened it up. I, I tried it on. It was a very nice sweater. And then she could tell that I was a little bit um, flatter than she wanted me to be. So I said, Mom, why were you so anxious for me to open this? It's a very nice sweater, but... And she said, well, here's the thing. I had this dream of you wearing this certain style and a certain color, and I thought it looked so nice on you. And I made it my quest to find that sweater in the real world. And so it turned out that she visited nearly every men's clothing store in two different malls until she found exactly what she had seen in her dream. And she was so excited that this thing that she pictured had become real. And what she said to me stuck with me ever since. She said, Dave, the gift I'm giving you is not really the sweater itself. It was the effort of the search that I want you to know was my gift to you. Many times along the way, I thought, maybe the sweater doesn't exist. I'll just give it up. But because I care about you, I wanted this to be a symbolic act of the way I feel about you. And so my effort was the gift, not the gift itself. You know, that's really stayed with me. And I think it speaks to, it captures the heart of this intensity of effort, which is involved in loving God or really anyone with all our muchness.
There's a point at which anyone can give up and say, you know, I, d- I did my best. And we know that we have one more gear left. But at some point, it's tempting to just go, do I really need to go above and beyond? And what God asks of us is there must be times when if our love for Him is real, we're willing and joyfully willing to give Him that sixth gear, that very best that we can offer. There's a recent new translation of the Bible called The Voice. Um, It's not my favorite translation. I don't think it gets everything right, but there are certain verses where I think the chosen wording really captures the meaning. And I like the way that they rendered Colossians 3.23. It's a familiar verse in the NIV to many of us, but here's how they translated it. So no matter what your task is, work hard. Always do your best as the Lord's servant and not as man's. You know, God's not the only one that we owe this kind of love, this intense effort to. It's okay for us to love other people with this kind of intensity, and we ought to. But if we truly love and value God, then shouldn't He receive on a regular basis the very best that we have to offer as well? I was thinking about this while I was writing the sermon. When's the last time I did something just for God with that absolute best effort I can give. How about you? When's the last time you recall doing something where you can honestly say, I could not have offered better than this? This represents the greatest intensity of desire, devotion, and effort I could give to someone else. Is there something you or I are doing right now which we know that we could do something with more of our muchness as a way of expressing to God His worth and the way that we feel towards Him. Loving God with our muchness involves intensity. It's about loving Him with everything that is in us. So let me give you one more dimension of what it means to love God with our muchness, and that is generosity. It's a strange word to use regarding God because God is the one who made and owns and has everything. But there is a sense in which the way we love God out of our muchness involves generosity. If intensity is loving God with everything that is in us, then generosity is loving God with everything that is in our hands. I appreciated the discussion question that was sent out this week for for the study uh, on this week's topic. And one of the questions that was asked was, what do you have much of? It was getting at, if we talk about this word muchness as a resource, what is your muchness? What does it consist of? Well, each of us has much of something. And what's exciting about that is that what I have much of is probably something different than what you or someone else has much of. And that's the diversity, the rich diversity of being in the church together. Our muchness, or what I have much of, represents that which I have stored up selectively over the course of my life. So I discard a great many things that are not that important to me, but what is important to me, I store up and I collect over time. The Bible calls these things that we accumulate our treasures. They're the things that we value the most, and God has a lot to say about what we treasure. Perhaps most importantly is the the words of Jesus in Luke 12, 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Those are profound words that tell us that if you want to really know what has grabbed your heart, take a close look at the things that you treasure which you have selectively stored up and accumulated in your life. And we store up what we treasure partly because we draw our security from it. And because every treasure that we own is finite and limited in its supply, one of the greatest barriers to being generous is the anxiety it produces when we part with something that we value. The idea of having less of something that I care about and that gives me security produces worry and anxiety. And Jesus taught extensively about the relationship between walking and trusting in, in Him and the worry that so often stifles and limits our lives. If you want to figure out what it is you treasure, what, what it is that um, you hold most dear, think about what you fear to lose the most or what you're least willing to give away or share. You can identify what you treasure by that which you worry most about losing or are most stingy and reluctant to give away. But you can also identify who you treasure by which people in your life you're still willing to share what you have that's most dear to you. You know, there are, there are certain things that I just won't share with any old person, but with, with the people I love, I am exceedingly generous. You know, when I first got my new car, my Civic, I, I really treasured that car, and I didn't want anyone to touch it, but when my son asked to use it, I let him use it right away. I didn't even hesitate. And it wasn't because in that moment I valued the car less, but because I valued him so much more. Can you imagine if you hurt yourself, you got a, a really bad cut and you're bleeding like crazy and you look at your friend and say, hey, please drive me to the emergency room right now. And imagine how you feel if he looked at you and said, actually, why don't I call you an Uber? And, and you could tell the reason he was hesitant was because he did not want you bleeding all over his precious car. In that moment, you'd know something really true about the relationship you have with him is that in that moment, he was more worried about the damage to his car than the damage to your hand. It's important for us to locate our treasures in what we treasure and who we treasure because it reveals true things about what's driving our lives. And it's good for us to know that about the people we're in relationship with. And God wants to know that as well. He tells a story, Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 12, about a, a farmer who was well-to-do. He wasn't a poor farmer, but one year his field produced an incredible harvest, an unexpected bounty which he had not earned. And Jesus tells us in, this, in verses 16 to 17 that he had such an abundant harvest that he had no place to store the surplus crops that he'd gathered. That's a good problem to have uh, it's not a problem most of us face on a regular basis, but this guy had more than he needed and even more than he could store. Now, when God does that for us, usually there's a clear message, a, a serious hint in why he would bless us with such an overabundance. But this man in the story, verses 18 to 19, tell us that his solution to this good problem was that he would tear down his existing barns, replace them with bigger barns, and he would store up all of this surplus grain for himself so that he could enjoy many years of secure and leisurely living. So as the story concludes, Jesus delivers this really um, hard thing at the end. It seems really harsh. He says in verse 20, But God said to him, You fool, 
This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? A lot of people see in this man's death in the story that it's like a punishment. Like if you are selfish and greedy and stingy, God will kill you. I don't believe that is the point of what Jesus said in this part of the story at all. It's not so much a punishment, but it's more a lesson. A lesson pointing out the foolishness of trying to hoard for yourself an abundant blessing which God gave you, not just so you could have more than you need, but so that you might be a vessel of blessing for others. It's this idea that the foolishness of trying to hoard all of that stuff for yourself when you cannot even guarantee you will be alive long enough to enjoy all that you have stored away. You can pretend that this gives you security, but you have really no absolute security in anything. We can't even control how long we will continue to be alive. And so what Jesus is pointing out is that for a person who lives this way, one day they will lose everything, and then what what was it all for? In 1960, a man named Chuck Feeney and his business partner Robert Miller, they were friends from college, they founded a business called Duty Free Shoppers. And you've probably seen their stores in every international airport you've ever flown in and out of. You, you buy high, high-end import goods without paying tariffs on them. And he amassed a huge fortune through this business. Now, when you look at the two men, the two friends who founded this company, Robert Warren Miller is now the 293rd richest man in the world. He's got a net worth of $6 billion. He owns luxury homes in Hong Kong, New York, Paris, Switzerland. He owns a 36,000-acre estate in the U.K., His daughters married royalty in other countries. He has the textbook life of a rich tycoon. But Chuck Feeney went a very different direction with his fortune. In 1982, he secretly established the Atlantic Philanthropies. And he set a goal of giving away all of his wealth while he was still alive. Last September 14th, after 38 happy years of giving away his fortune, he closed his charity, having given away $8 billion. He and his wife, Helga, live in a rented San Francisco apartment. They don't own a home. They don't own a car. He wears a $10 Casio wristwatch. And the two of them are among the happiest, most fulfilled people you will ever meet. His posture His relationship to his wealth was so inspiring, it inspired Warren Buffett and Bill Gates to partner together to begin something called the Giving Pledge, where they urged and they challenged the wealthiest people in the world to give up at least half of their wealth to good causes and charities. To this date, they have have received over $600 billion in pledges. In Luke 12, 21, at the end of that story, that parable, Here's what Jesus says as the conclusion of the matter. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. He's saying this man's fate, the irony of wanting to hold on to everything and being able to hold on to nothing, this will be a lesson for all of those who want to be rich towards themselves, but are not rich toward God. And that phrase, rich toward God, is a very strange phrase. We need to unpack what that really means. Practically speaking, what does it mean to be rich toward God? 
We find a clue when we return back to Mark 12 and the question that this law expert had asked Jesus about what is the greatest command. He had asked him for just one of the greatest commands. Which of all of the commands is the single greatest? And Jesus answered with a Shema. He said, the first and greatest command is to love God with everything you've got. But then in verse 31, uninvited, he just offers a second one. He says, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And in that last phrase, what what Jesus is saying is, you can't really separate these two commands. You can't even put them in rank order that tightly because to love God is to love others. And you can't love others unless you love God. They're so intertwined. And so what he's trying to show us is this. For us to deeply love our God who is invisible, One of the ways we do that is by tangibly loving with intensity of effort and great generosity the real flesh and blood human beings that we see all around us. When we give away our greatest effort and our greatest treasures out of an act of love, ultimately it is one of the best ways we can love an invisible God is by loving the visible people that are right in front of us. It's such a challenge to us because if you look at the scriptures, um, you know, the church today, we make much, we make such a big deal out of certain moral hot, hot spots, certain things that we love to fight about and, and use as defining litmus tests for whether you are a righteous person or an unrighteous person. But when you look in scripture, and a, a good friend helped me to really see this with such sharp clarity again recently, the thing that God seems to address the most often is our relationship to our treasures. And the fact that greed is one of the most offensive things to the heart of God. Selfishness, the hoarding of treasure and blessing only for ourselves with a refusal to be truly generous, truly sacrificial towards God and others. That's one of the things God addresses again and again as one of the foundational ways of understanding what morality and righteousness look like in this world. And if we really want to love God out of our muchness, then at some point we are going to have to deal with how practically and faithfully we answer His call to be generous, especially to those who have the least. To give our very best effort to those whom God wants to love through us. And we do that not because we just love people, but you can only sustain that kind of life if it's because you love God with everything that is in you, and everything that is in your hands. Of all the things God wants from us, the greatest is that we would love Him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and all of our muchness. This has to rise above feelings of fondness and admiration. God is worthy of the greatest efforts we're capable of delivering. That last gear which we reserve only for the things and the people who are most worthy of our best. God is worthy of that. And I want to invite you to think about that this week, to be very open to those moments when God is saying, hey, this is one of those moments right now where I'm asking you to show your love to me by giving me the very best you can actually give. It will be so tempting and easy for you to bail early 
Everyone else will accept that you did your best, but I know that you had better to offer. And it blesses the heart of God when He sees us dig deep. And for those occasions where we feel that leading, we give Him the very best we can because He is worthy of our best. And every one of us has things we treasure that when we part with it, it creates anxiety, insecurity. But we're willing to do that for the ones that we love the most. And this week, I want you to take a hard look at those things which you treasure. The things you've amassed the most of because you've collected that which you treasure the most. And be very open this week to God's call on you, His gentle nudge to say, I want you to release your grip on that as a way of expressing tangibly your great love for me. I don't know what that will look like. I don't even know what your muchness consists of. But I have a feeling that this week, if you're open to Him, God will bring things in front of you that will give you an opportunity to love Him in these ways with all of your muchness. And as you do that, may it bless you and build you up and fill you with life. May what you experience be not loss, but great gain as you love God out of all your muchness. I don't know what you have much of, but God has given each of us something which we treasure. And if we can't identify the things we have in our hands, then I know that what He's given us is the breath of life and the capacity to give the very best we are able. May God unlock in us a heart of such great love for Him that this week we would joyfully dive into things which we do with the greatest intensity of effort, which we do with the greatest generosity of sacrifice and, and willingness to share because we want to show our great God that He is worthy of the best love we can give. And I say this to you, church, not just to burden you with duty, but because I'm asking God in prayer this week to reveal to you how much you are loved and how worthy He is of our love in return. May God allow you to love Him this way and through that loving to bless you and fill you even more. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, be blessed now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.